This is Air Commander Starscream, and you are listening to Half Measures. Uh, Half Measures? Sounds like Megatron's battle strategy. <laughs> Kia ora and welcome to episode 119 of the Half Measures Podcast. I'm once again joined by the Chosen One. It was said that you would destroy the Sith. Not join them. You bring balance to the Force, not leave it in darkness. Pork an hour. How you doing today? Kia ora, Dan. You underestimate my power. <clears throat> I don't know if I do. <laughs> oh, yeah, you probably don't. <laughs> I really wish I really wish you'd hit the record button just, just five seconds before, you know, when you were sort of... You, Dan does this thing where he counts us in real professional five, four, and then halfway through his fight, he was like, I don't even know what I'm going to say. It's like, do you ever know what you're going to say? Not really. Just whatever just splurts out, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, look, welcome. Episode 119, we're, we're racing through. It feels like just yesterday we were celebrating episode 100 and we're, we've got a lot to talk about today, Paul. This is a, a big oh. episode for the Half Measures podcast. Oh, honestly, it really is. I, I feel like I've been wanting to record this podcast all week because I have things to say about everything I've watched this week, Dan. And <laughs> there's one thing you need when you're doing a podcast about movies and TV shows, it's things to say. It's funny, eh? Um, so so this episode, we're going to be talking about uh, the new Obi-Wan uh, Kenobi series, the first two episodes. We're going to be talking about Bosch Legacy. But before we sort of get into our, our classic what have we been watching, on Monday at work this week, Paul, I just sort of, you know, generally making chit-chat with people, you know, how was your weekend, blah, blah, blah. And I'd sort of be like, oh, you're a Star Wars fan? Have you watched uh, Obi-Wan? And I was talking to this guy in the kitchen, and he's like, don't know what it is. And I was like... I like Star Wars, and he's like, "Is that the one with Kirk?" And I'm like, "Wow, you you pull on my chain." He wasn't. He was. He was dead serious. He's like, "I don't know. Maybe." Is that guy still it, with us? Well, I've been. I've been really. It's really set with me, and I've been thinking about like, you know, we, we've said it before, but like, imagine just being like a fully functioning adult with a job, and you can just like you could just decide this weekend. I'm going to just go and explore Star Wars. And you could just have hundreds of hours of amazing content. Like, it's, you know, it's that notion of like, oh, I wish I could like wipe my memory so I could like re-experience yeah. the show all over again. I I was kind of a little bit like in shock, but also a little bit jealous. Yeah. Oh, I would be theorizing what's the best order to watch things in because I still maintain, still maintain that production order is still the way to go. I know, I know we've had this conversation about Marvel and it's been different for you but i feel like for a first time view production order is still the way to go but th is that the one with kirk well at least he knows who kirk is ish mm, mm, mm. it is questionable isn't it but i think you're right it is a uh, timeline order for star wars is the is the ultimate viewing experience i think uh release order is for uh uh advanced viewer shall we say yeah that's true Shall we uh, jump on into it, Paul? What have you been watching this week? Okay, let's have a look. Um, yeah, 119 episodes. I have to say, just so you know, this is one of those few episodes where I have made notes um, because I've got over half a dozen questions I want to ask you, so I will expect some answers later. But firstly, I'm bringing to the podcast this week, Dan, three movies. First one up, and I'm real late arriving to the party on this one. This is 
2018's Bird Box. Um, so I don't know if I, th- I feel like is this the one with Kirk? Honestly, am I the last person ever to? Because this is like one of the most watched Netflix movies of all time, and I remember the hype of it. Um, so this is the one for anyone who hasn't seen it or wants a refresher. Where um, after an anonymous, a sort of ominous, unseen presence drives most of society to suicide, a mother and her two children make a desperate bid to reach safety. This this movie starring Sandra Sandra Bullock absolutely superb genuinely stressful it it had a lot about it that reminded me of the quiet uh, sorry a quiet place but obviously in in that one where you can't talk in this one you have to sort of remain blindfolded in order to survive because if your eyes are open while you're outside the light's going to get you and you're you're going to kill yourself which is you know horrific but it does make for an exceptionally good movie do you have much of a good memory on this one dan um, yeah, I kind of remember it having a, I think you're right to call out a quiet place and also a bit of a, a, a black summer vibe in the sense that like yeah. just like high, high anxiety, yes. um, characters kind of dropping off and it's got quite a, um, yeah, there's a, there's a few classic act- actresses in there like Sandra Bullock and Sarah Paulson, but like, um, John Malkovich, but there's, there's also sort of a few newcomers and I think they do a, a great job with some of these, uh, old, old hands, shall we say. Yeah, oh, they really do. Speaking of John Malkovich, his his character is is a real highlight. There's something about his character that's so real. Like I always think, if the if these things happened in real life, I feel like someone like John Malkovich's character, so many people in the world would actually really be like him. There's so many great stressful, high tension moments. The the start of this movie is one of the best starts I've seen in years. The intensity as that when she's driving that car down the street and suddenly chaos ensues. Um, cause for a relatively low budget movie, this, the start is really quite impressive. There's the, um, the scene on the water that she's blindfolded and she's attacked by the guy. There's the, the, the boat when she's going down the rapid rivers or the river rapids, whatever you call them. Um, they have a, they sort of figure out they might be able to drive a car if they sort of block off all the windows and then they use like the sat nav and a, the, the sort of the proximity alerts on the car. Um, it's it's really really good it's this is you know this is my kind of my kind of horror i guess you know it's that sci-fi horror it's um and it's got a really good finale i love the the way the story wraps up with the with the birds and how they get to that place it's i think i've seen a lot of criticism online and actually, I was really surprised when I was looking at this that it only scores a a six point six and only a fifty one on from Metacritic. And I was really sort of surprised by that because it does go, I guess, with a few cliche moments. There are some, I guess, what you would call stereotypical characters here and there, and it sort of goes for the jumps and the scares. But this is this for me is as as good as it gets maybe it's a little bit long maybe they could have trimmed it to 90 minutes for this this type of movie i don't know but um i actually watched this on the train because i was in the city for for once this week and so i watched it one hour on the train in and one hour on the train back and to be honest i feel like this actually would have been even better at home curtains drawn volume up for even better sort of scare factor well um yeah, it was um, it was definitely good on the um, good at home, and I, it's interesting because it came out twenty eighteen. I feel like mm. if you had asked me when did this movie come out, I would have said 
2020, like because it kind of feels like uh, a movie I watched during the during the pandemic, I guess. And yeah. it, it clearly wasn't, but it it kind of I wonder whether would this movie have come out in that sort of 2021? Like it might have been a bit too bit too real. Yeah, no, it might have been sure. And I was looking at the dates because I was curious because when I thought about A Quiet Place, I was like, there are so many similarities in terms of her as a mother with the two kids. I mean, it's high stress watching this as a um, as a father with the with the kids. It's just like you're just sort of every single step of the way just terrified. And Vivian Larabere, who plays the girl, who also stars in Obi-Wan Kenobi, um, she is superb in this. I dare say that her performance in this got her the role in Obi-Wan. Um, but you just terrified the whole way through. And um, yeah, they both came out in 2018. They were both from novels that were written independently. So they're just, these two things sort of come along, you know, with a, a similar vibe at, at, at the same time, I guess. But uh, yeah, I would, this is a hundred percent a recommendation uh, from me. Um, I, as always seem to come to these things quite late. Um, I think Sandra Bullock has made some really awesome movies of late. I could easily look at revisiting the, the peak performance we did for her last year. Cause I just think she's, she's really bringing in some, some great performances. It's almost like she's probably hit. It feels like she's had a bit of a second win. Like, you know, she's kind of in my mind, uh, had a few good sort of like action thrillers, a little bit of dramas then I feel like she kind of went into a bit of a rom-com space and then kind of disappeared for me a bit but now she's back with a, a bit of a vengeance in my view yeah the last few she's done especially the the unforgivable that you and I uh, looked at I th- just think she's just yeah just top notch so um so that's the first one I've got the the other one f- uh, second one was a, a rewatch um and this was a movie I wanted to, to introduce my my 12 year old son too so it was kind of a, a movie night for us and this was uh 2008 cloverfield um uh, which if you haven't seen is about a, a group of friends who venture deep into the streets of new york on a rescue mission during a rampaging monster attack and of course if you watch the if if you watch the first sort of 20-ish minutes of this movie without having seen the post or the synopsis or anything you think you were watching a teen movie about relationships and parties and and things and it all just goes off in a completely different direction once there's a huge explosion in manhattan i think this movie is aged really well i think the effects are still really good i haven't seen many movies that so this is shot you know all through the lens of that handheld camera and i haven't seen many like that obviously the Blair Witch Project is the obvious comparison I think it's a really effective uh medium or way of doing a movie and I'd, I'd love to see more like this because yes it has its limitations and and what have you but there's something about it that really brings you into the moment I had a great time re-watching this one it's been a long time since I've kind of gone back to this uh, original movie, but it's, it's it's got a bit of a cult following, doesn't it? And I'm um, I'm intrigued. Did you, even though you kind of obviously know this universe now and you've kind of been through it, did it still kind of hold your attention well enough? It did. I, I mean, I guess watching it with someone who hasn't seen it before, I was quite kind of excited to watch their you know his reaction as the, as the things unfolded. Um, but I think. I think um, it's possibly 
lost something in a rewatch value. You know, we, we, you and I talk often about the rewatch value of some things. This perhaps less so because that surprise factor has gone. The I think the other thing for me is is that I love the second movie as well, Ten Cloverfield Lane. I thought that was superb, although I did find the the link between those two movies quite sort of very weak. It could easily be another universe, and then of course the third one, Paradox, I just thought was really average. Um, and so I guess if I thought it had a good series of movies after it, it would be, you know, I remember reading ages ago that, um, there was going to be a link to that movie you and I watched, um, with, uh, Chris, uh, underwater, um, oh, um, with, uh, oh, the woman from Twilight, I can't um, think of the name, Kirsten, Kirsten, Kristen, 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 Kristen Stewart, um, and I don't remember anything specifically about that that linked it to this, but I remember th- hearing that there was supposed to be some link to this. And, and it, I don't know, I, I would love to see that universe, that monster um, sort of revisited um, and then extending out this universe because I thought the second one was really good. I think the monster's great. The smaller ones that drop off of it are pretty scary too um, when they're going through the tunnel, turning on the, the night vision. And of course, Matt, Matt Reeves directs this. And you know, since then, we've seen him go on to direct... Um, you know, he, he's been with the the Batman. You know, I mean, he's he's a terrific director, terrific producer, and um, I think there's a lot about this combined with JJ Abrams that just makes it work really well. Mm. That movie, just for reference, it was actually just called Underwater. So, um, oh, it was quite simple. Yeah, I thought it was. Mm. Um, I I don't know. I think the party at this the start of this one possibly goes on for a bit long when I'm on the rewatch. It feels like you're just sort of waiting for it to actually kick off and give it that this movie is, you know, is a very short runtime. So you're you're only actually sitting down and watching this one for an hour and 25, so 20 minutes of partying with teenagers or whatever. It's, you just want it to kick off, but yeah, very good, very entertaining. And um, yeah, I would love to see, I'd love to see more of this universe after the third one was a, a bit disappointing. And then finally, oh, yep. Oh, no, I was just going to say, interesting, just, um, I didn't really pick this up, but Matt Reeves also was a, a writer on, um, and director, actually, of some of the Planet of the Apes movies. So yes. he's actually got a, a bit of an awesome back, back catalogue, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, no, he does. And he's got some things, um, some things in the pipeline. I was just looking, uh, coming up, but save that for another time my third and final movie Dan I thought it was time I did a rewatch of a movie franchise as I want to do every now and then so I'm kicking off this one Ocean's Eleven um this is now 21 years old all the way back to 2001 and just like I sort of said with uh, Cloverfield this movie has aged really really well I think I think this this movie and if anyone hasn't seen it you need to go and find these movies this this is a movie i think i would almost say i use as like a as a yardstick you know like a baseline for other heist movies so i sort of like talk about it in terms of on the oceans scale as it were and i feel like the oceans movies are i feel like they're almost like a genre within a genre and so this was a lot of fun this was a this was a friday night watch for us and really really good i can't fault this one at all almost i have fond memories of the first oceans movies ocean movie after that though paul i'm i'm not a fan i'm not a i'm not a big lover of this series yeah. um i 
and it, it's it's kind of a bit tough to say, but I've only probably given most of the ones after the first movie one shot and kind of walked away being like, eh. Mm. Um, and to be honest, I think I've probably like skipped a few. So, and I know that they're doing a bit of work to kind of like reboot this franchise as well. And and look, when you look at the cast of the first movie, especially in two thousand and one, like incredible to think you could even get George Clooney, Brad Pitt, Matt Damon, um, Bernie Mac, Elliot Gould, like all Casey Affleck, all together in the same rooms, a pretty um, awesome effort in its own right. Yeah. Oh, it really is, and I feel like. I feel like maybe one of my criticisms is, uh, you know, maybe it is a bit of a, it feels a bit too much of a boys club at time, but that, that's, that's, that's the original 1960 movie that it's based on. And in fact, I would, I've not ruled out including that as part of the rewatch. I would, if I can get a copy of that, I would be keen to see what that's like. But Julia Roberts, who's in it as, as Danny's ex-wife Tess, um, she, she's just not in it enough, but she's good. Um, I think, um, the other criticism I did think of actually just looking at the cast because Don Cheadle's in it. He's good, but he, he, his accent, he goes a bit too London. He, he's, he's pushed it like, um, I don't know if you think of like a, like a Dick Van Dyke in Mary Poppins. I think he goes too far. Um, but if that's the worst thing I've got to say about this movie, I just, um, I just, Brad Pitt, you know, he is one of those actors who I was thinking about the other day because we haven't, we haven't done a peak performance of Brad Pitt. And whilst I wouldn't necessarily say, that this would be it for him. He's very entertaining throughout. He he's like I don't know if you ever ever remember this, but he's like eating in ninety percent of his scenes, and you almost don't even notice it until you start looking for it. Matt Damon, he's so good in this. He he plays a he Linus Coldwell. He's so good. He hasn't even started filming the Bourne movies at this point. So he's like the baby of the group. And yet he's already been in Goodwill Hunting. He's already done Saving Private Run. So he's already like in top form. And then, of course, George Clooney, who another actor we haven't done a peak performance for. For me, when I think of him, I think of Danny Ocean. He, I feel like he's, he's so good. And it's so hard to believe that he was Batman sometimes. But there's no one else who could have played Danny Ocean. I think he's terrific. He's Batman for me. He's Batman with the nipples. That's just how it goes. <laughs> Great. I would, I'm glad I'm not stuck inside that thought wheel because, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so that was my um, my third. Oh, this, I've forgotten. Joshua Jackson and Topher Grace cameo as themselves in this movie. There's some really funny scenes in it. Um, but, yeah, if you if you like heist movies, this 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 I'm willing to bet you're going to love this one. Uh, what's next? What was it? Um, the Italian Job, maybe, or...? Ocean's Twelve, straight in. Oh, no, I mean like another other sort of oh, heist genres. After, yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So that's an interesting one. Um, you can go for the old classic, which I know you love. I you do can go that. for the sort of modern retake. Yeah, I didn't mind the retake, remake, retake, whatever it was. It, but the the original, I do. I mean, I won't do the impression of Michael Caine, but it's brilliant. Where about are you watching these movies, Paul? Uh, these movies are available on Amazon Prime. Nice prime video here in New Zealand. Good times. Um, <laughs> prime videos. <laughs> is that and so that that's your list apart from our joint watches? Yes, that's that's me for this week because you and I have done a, a fair f- bit of watching this week, and there's other things in the back burner as well, isn't there? Yeah, there is. I feel like I've been flat out watching things for our joint reviews, and I'm like, oh god, I haven't watched enough for our um, my individual watches. So. Really got to burn the midnight oil sometimes on the Half Measures podcast. Um, so the first thing, I, I'm, I'm bringing up a classic ball, one that I've watched a million times, but about, 
don't know, maybe a week or two ago, Samara said to me, should we just put on The Office? I knew you were going to say that. Oh, my goodness. And we were just like, oh, like, oh well, is it time? Is it? And, and we, we're talking US office here, um, which obviously much respect to the, the UK. We know it's the, the OG. Um, and this is, if you've been a long-time listener of the pod, I have watched the, the US office half a dozen times. And I'll tell you, Paul, so good. So good. I feel like I'm back with my friends. It's all feeling familiar. We um, have watched the first two seasons. And so, and it's kind of funny looking back at The Office, right? Because season one and two, 2005, 2006, like mm. it's pretty, like it's pretty old now. And like the, the jokes are as, as risque and as like, I just, I would genuinely be intrigued you know, when they talk about kind of a bit of an office reboot and could they make it, I just don't know. Like, it's – but it's so good. We we just sit there and we laugh and we laugh and we watch episode after episode and just kind of a – it's almost kind of like a great – it's a great palate cleanser. It's just like – it's familiar. You know what's happening, but it's it's just such a good time and it's, it's so weird to watch it because there's many other shows – that like I'm, I'm working my way through Curb Your Enthusiasm, but I'm kind of doing that solo, so it's a little bit harder to kind of carve out that time. But uh, just to go back to it's like a it's like a, a comfortable pair of track pants, Paul. You just slip them on. That's what she said, and you. <laughs> and and I'm back in. I'm back in. It's 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 such a great show. I'm I'm not going to talk about it every week, but we're we're definitely continuing the office as a bit of a. Uh, something to watch in between some of the other sort of heavier shows that we might be watching. You're a few episodes in and you're already straight into Michael Scott mode. It's amazing how quickly that happens. Uh, of course, uh, John Krasinski, aka Jim Halpert, at this point has got he's got his old hairstyle. He looks very different to the suave, um, you know, the, the actor that he's becoming in a, in a quiet place and as Jack Ryan. It, it's Jack Ryan. He's, he's just... He's just a kid, you know, and yeah. it's like, it's amazing to see, like, how far he's come. It's, you know, I just forget how much I love Dwight as a character. Like, Samara and I were saying yesterday, he, he's almost, like, just one of the greatest TV characters ever. He's oh, just, yeah. he's so enjoyable and so annoying. And we've just got season three where they're um, introducing, like, Andy Bernard. And it's, oh, it's, it's. It's just good. It's and I, I love just seeing the evolution of the characters and the the evolution of the chemistry between them and just as sort of more characters get more like Creed starts to become a bit more of a presence in the office and it's Creed good. is I was just gonna say to you, who if you would sort of like say, Oh yeah, I reckon I could somehow relate a little bit to that character. I don't know why, but Creed's always spoken to me. Yeah, yeah. No, he's 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 a dero. It's great. So I'm watching that on Netflix at the moment, and as I say, I'll, I'll sort of I'll bring it up every now and again, but I won't um, I won't bore the listeners with the regular office content every week. The other thing I've actually watched is a is a movie on Netflix, and this was a movie um, I wasn't too sure about to be honest. So this is Red Notice, and it came out in um, 2021, and it stars Dwayne Johnson, Ryan Reynolds, and Gal Gadot, and the reason I wasn't sure about it is I kind of feel like, you know, we talk about it all the time, Ryan Reynolds and even kind of The Rock, like you're kind of getting the same characters, the same kind of jokes and the same sort of vibes every time. And I kind of went into it with a bit of a, oh, look, I'm probably not going to enjoy this. I'll tell you, Paul, 
had a fantastic time. <laughs> I love it. Had a really good time. I I laughed. I enjoyed the story. It was definitely like the some of the same slapstick stuff that I've just been talking about, but it was it was kind of a, an interesting enough story to keep me engaged. So the basic plot is um, there's an Interpol agent who su- successfully tracks down uh, the world's most wanted art thief with help from a rival thief, but nothing is as it seems as a series of double crosses ensure. And I think it's the double crosses that actually make this the most fun. Like they're constantly between these three characters. They're double crossing each other the whole way along. There's some fantastic like cameos in this movie. As far as sort of Netflix movies go, this is this is a lot of fun. I I give it I give it not all the guns, it's probably a little bit too far, but it's it's you could do far worse than watch Red Notice. And I'd be intrigued to see a, a Red Notice too. I love that you watch things that I'm thinking of watching, but I'm sort of on the fence and then I listen to you talk and it confirms it for me. I'm kind of hoping that's what the point of this podcast is for some people when they listen to it, because I wasn't sure I was on the fence. I saw, you know, the the 37 meta score that it's got across critics and thought, oh, okay, in spite of the the cast, is this one to miss? But now that's the way you've dressed that up and sold it it sounds like exactly the sort of thing that i would enjoy um and the comedy element between these these three i think is i could see it in the trailer which is why i was surprised it got so much sort of negativity but it sounds good i'm glad yeah no it definitely is and i think you know ryan um ryan reynolds and Dwayne johnson have been doing a few films together for a few years now and i think i actually think it's because they've worked together so regularly that sort of commonality of the of the laughs and the jokes kind of works so well because it just kind of you can tell they're kind of bouncing and rifting off each other and they're probably going off script every now and again but it's a it's, it's a really good time i'm gonna ask a question which is going to embarrass myself but i'm trying to think what have those two guys done together um because at the moment when i'm thinking of the rock and i'm thinking of ryan reynolds i can only Hobbs think sure yeah okay okay he was in Hobson Shaw. Of course, I think there, there might be something else as well, but it's and and almost in any movie that they're in, you could slap any title on it, and it could kind of be in, in, interchangeable. So, um, but no, look, it's if you're looking for a a, a comedy uh, with a bit of action, and as I say, a few laughs on Netflix, I think you could do far worse than Red Notice. So, keep that in your back pocket for a a lazy Saturday night. I love that. What else you got? That is all I've got apart from our joint watches because you've just you've got so much homework for me, Paul. I've just got this back catalogue of things with shows, ending shows coming on. I've got a spreadsheet, guys. I've got a spreadsheet where Paul's like, you need to have this done by this day and this done by this day. So even though it might sound like, be rest assured that I'm, um, I'm hard at work watching shows uh, behind the scenes. That's good because um, you did mention that you're three seasons into the office, so that's that's quite a few episodes. So that's that's where a lot of your time has gone, and I salute you for that. That's um, that's great. It's the, it's the danger of those twenty minute episodes because it's like ah, yeah. oh, just one more. Yeah. Oh, just one more. Yeah. And the end, you can kind of like you can really multi-screen with an episode of the office, right? Like you can be like, oh, I've just got to do some stuff on my laptop or. Um, whatever i, I want to do the wordle on my phone you can do it while you're watching the office wordle listen to you. the wordle you can, you can do your things shall we jump on in to one of our uh, joint watches of the week paul with uh bosch legacy indeed so this is one you and i have been looking forward to for a wee while we've watched all seven seasons of the original uh bosch cop drama um 
went all the way back to 2014 and I was actually looking at some of the photos from 2014 of you know uh Titus Welliver and Madison Lintz and the others, what they looked like back then, very different. We've we've grown with this family, with these with these characters. And so three of the main characters from Bosch have dreamt across the Bosch legacy. Uh he's he's he quit at the uh, end of season seven. Spoilers. And I will say spoilers for the uh, for the series in itself as well. Um and decided that he's gonna become uh, a private detective, a PI in the next chapter of his career. And he also is working with his one-time enemy, uh, Honey Chandler, the, the lawyer, and his daughter, Maddie Bosch. Meanwhile, she's a cop. It's all going on. She's a boot, Paul. A she's boot. A, That's it, yeah, boots. A, a boot. And it's it's all kind of such an interconnected universe, or sort of storyline, isn't it? Because originally in the end of um, Bosch, Maddie was – uh, in law school, and she was sort of working for That's Honey right. Chandler, yep. and then kind of at the she kind of loses heart, like you said, but in the in the legal process, and decides to follow in her dad's footsteps. And we kind of long prophesized that you know, it would be great to kind of see Maddie become a police officer and kind of work her way up through the ranks. Now coming into this ball, I was like, "Is this going to be good? Like, am, am I ready for more Bosch? This is already in my top ten list, Paul. Yep. This is incredible. Absolutely love it." Give me season two right now. I'm, I'm. Ah, oh, this is this is. They've got they've got a great new sort of opening uh, soundtrack and sort of music. The the storytelling's tight. There's big sort of major plot points happening, but there's also some sort of lots of sort of side stories. There's some throwbacks to some of our uh, favorite characters from original Bosch. I just honestly, I had such a great time with this show. Yeah, I. I feel exactly the same way. I also have uh, shortlisted it, as I mentioned last week. I've started a list. It's how organized we are these days for potential top 10 shows. And it is in the mix for me as well. That's always a great sign. I, You're right. I do like that theme music. I found it a bit jolting at the start, actually, because because Bosch, the series Bosch, with that great um, Can't Let Go song, that was, I argue, that is one of the greatest opening credits of any TV show of all time. And so it was, but now... I feel like this new song has got the right vibe for this this series. I love the way the characters sort of they sort of show sort of split shots of them, and then then, then they're sort of making eye contact directly with you at the camera. It's quite quite, quite effective, and just like Bosch, Legacy is is just so well written. There's the heavy emphasis on the plot on on all these layers of it. You know, it's one of those shows where. You know, you often talk about looking at your phone. You can't look away for long as you'll get left behind. This is this is really good stuff. One of our most popular episodes on this podcast, Paul, is you can't watch Bosch while playing Animal that's, Crossing. That's right, yes. And uh, it gets many a many Allison. Um, I think what's kind of interesting what you said about the the opening music is always the same it sort of took me to about the 50 episode when i was like oh yeah i'm really kind of digging this and because yeah. at first it was jolting that it wasn't the music that i was used to i think what's interesting about this show is obviously you know bosch is a real like he's old school right like he's an old school cop ex-cop now and now as a private eye i was kind of intrigued to be like is he gonna be able to you know, work cases and kind of do the things that he does, not being a cop. And I think it's actually worked out pretty well. But I'll tell you, the the story that I'm most interested in and most – I'd watch a whole entire show just about Maddie being a um, being a, uh, a cop and, you know, being a boot and sort of going through that journey and, you know, learn, learning the ropes. Like it's, I, I just loved it. I couldn't get enough of it. I think you're right. I think um, 
you know, Matt, so Madison Lentz, uh, she plays Maddie, so you know, same name there, has been really good in this whole first season and she's getting uh, you know more screen time than than she got in Bosch and, and her story is a real step up from the original series and of course because she's older now her story is much more you know complex and and asking for a much bigger performance from her and I, I feel like I'm able to you're right I think you're right I think I'm able to enjoy Maddie's character a lot more than I was at perhaps able to in Bosch I've always thought that her and Harry together are really good I feel like she's always convinced in that relationship like I really believe that Harry and Maddie are uh, father and daughter but now as a cop you know her scenes all have a lot more value and there's tension and just all over I think it's just more interesting as her character goes and then of course with that ending for her character with the ending of the the first season Mm. that's as that's as stressful as it gets and you know her story's going in a very very different interesting direction for season two well i think before we sort of jump right into the ending i think what's um what's interesting about i think particularly um harry and maddie's relationship is like you you genuinely do feel like it is a a father daughter relationship and you they do such a good job of sort of conveying like he's obviously worried about her um been on the front line but at the same time he kind of knows he needs to kind of let her go and it's in a way it's almost like you could see Bosch potentially you know if this sort of goes for another five or six seasons eventually kind of fading more into the background and, and Maddie actually sort of you know if it has a, a some time jumps or kind of moves forward like she could potentially become a detective like the story could sort of go on that way but I think for that to happen we need to resolve what's happened at the end of end of the season with um Maddie not being in her apartment and uh, a potential threat yeah, may have kidnapped her, or there may have been some skirmish, or well, it didn't look like there was a skirmish. I think that's the thing. Yeah, what what is happening? I need to know. It's oh, it's it literally as the episode ended, Diana turned to me. She goes, "They're gonna end it like that. That's too stressful." Yeah, it was it was really it was really cliffhangerish, and yeah, the the sort of person that's kidnapped, I don't know if kidnapped the right word, but taken her is is not the sort of person that you want take, and so what sort of um you know what for me i can't wait for season because if we thought and i as i certainly did harry wasn't playing by the rules this season you know he's no longer a cop he can do things differently this you know this next season he's going to be right off the rails as he's looking for her it's going to make for a lot of tension and um can i just quickly say Dan, before i forget speaking of father-daughter relationships did you spot the cameo by Eamon Welliver, Titus Welliver's real-life son, playing Harry Bosch when he was younger. So there was that flashback scene. It was so well done. It was freaky for me because he had all the mannerisms down perfectly combined with the voice, the eyes, the looks. It was just like, it was like the ultimate CGI version of Titus Welliver because it was his son. It was superb. I didn't realise that was his, his son, but that does make sense because I, I did think to myself, well, this is really uncanny how he's kind of really mastered the, really well the Bosch kind of. It's almost like, you know, Bosch has got this sort of, this this deep anger and lack of trust of anybody to do anything right apart from himself. Yeah. Maybe, like, apart from Maddie. Like, and it's, his. he's just got such a, like, he's almost unlikable as a character he is. he's lovable at the same time I would hate him in real life and that's probably why yeah. I, I really enjoy well not hate is a bit strong but I don't think we'd get on necessarily um, just for his mannerisms and the way he is but um, but yeah uh, just 
just just really really good Titus Welliver as as the as the lead as he was in Bosch um just absolutely superb um and those sort of like you said as they dipped into some of the characters from the original series I thought the cameos that they had were really good because I thought they didn't overdo it they had just the right amount and they also made it purposeful so like they didn't just have it for the sake of it so it was it was it was really good especially like if you think about crate and barrel you know he really needed some support to go in there to be able to do what he needed to do he can't do it all by himself and so it was i thought it was a real nice touch it's it's great just having hey there's those guys from the other show do you know what else was sort of interesting in the show is so there's a, an earthquake sort of midway through the early episodes yeah. and it basically causes structural damage to Bosch's house and I think Bosch's house is almost a character in itself on this show and when the earthquake happened I wondered whether like oh do they need to kind of move out of this location because they don't have access to the house like I was trying to think like why why is this happening and I think as the story went on it's potentially I think you know the the, the way Bosch gets that house is through a uh, a film or licensing deal isn't it so it's not like he's sort of like he, he's a cop, he's not necessarily loaded and can yeah. and can pay for some of those repairs that need to be done. And I wonder if it's a sort of a bit of a story act to explore. But my first my first thoughts were that they were trying to sort of move where he lived and kind of change the location. Yeah, I see. I've only written down two minor criticisms of this season, and that's one of them. the The whole story of the house and the earthquake, and then you know the valuation, it felt too much for me it's like he could easily have made a decision they could have just said the place burnt down or or anything he could have made any easy decision to get out of that place i, I just felt i feel like this because nothing happens in bosch without a reason and i feel like there's going to be some continuing story in season two around what's going on with the house with the money with the valuation with this there was there was too many scenes about that and i just saw no point to it so i left that that sort of left me with a bit of a what was what was that all about but um who knows do you know the scene that, or it happened a few times as well, that I kind of questioned was whenever Maddie and Harry would talk on the phone, they'd always be, oh, do you want to come and see Coltrane the dog? Or, And it would always be like, oh, no, he's not here, or he's with the he's with the dog sitter, or, oh, you just missed him. Or, like, it was like, it felt kind of, it came up so often that, oh, do you want to come around and see, see Coltrane? Or, like, Maddie would be like, say hi to Coltrane for me. Like, it, like, like what? I wonder. <laughs> What's happening? Yeah, I I haven't picked up on that, but now hearing you say, it, I wonder if there's something about they're trying to do something for the books. So obviously these all set on the novels by Michael Connolly, superb writer. I wonder if Coltrane figures in the book so much that they feel like they have to mention him sufficient times to to keep it in line with whatever's going on in the novels. I I don't know. I I really I I couldn't tell you, but um, yeah, I just. The other thing I wanted to say is, you know, we always talk about how it's a methodical show. You know, it's always very real police work. It's it's always less action. It's more more quiet build up and story. So when you do get an action scene, you really appreciate it. But I think what I love about the show, because I was gutted when they said, oh, this is the final season of Bosch. And I was like, oh, there's so many more stories here. And hearing this show when it was announced, I wasn't sure. But I think it's a really good idea because Harry leaving the the, the force and going in this direction is good because it's now a completely different angle from the point of view of he can now do things that he couldn't do as a cop because within the confines of the law he was he was sort of you know he, he couldn't get away with it whereas now he's able to do those things and of course we've, we've still got a cop drama on our hands because as you say yeah with maddie bosch now at that 
cop entry level. The angle of that cop story is, is different. It's fresh to the cop show we have with Harry as, as, the, as the top detective in Hollywood. So I think it's a really smart move because he can still call on the power of the force with his mates when he needs it. But now he can he can do things that, you know, he just literally couldn't have done legally before. Yeah, and I think it's it's interesting, right, because you also need Honey Chandler in that mix to both protect them from a legal point of view and she provides kind of the the financial backing almost so that, like, Bosch can have his tech guy there who, who you know, helps him sort of solve all these these big crimes and, and mysteries. And I think kind of it's a, it's a perfect little cocktail to keep the story progressing. Yeah. And then um, the other two characters who've sort of been added, because Mimi Rogers plays Honey and she's got some great lines as Honey Chandler. The other two, we've got um, Stephen Chang coming in as um, Mo. Bessie, the sort of like the tech support for Bosch. I quite like the angle he's got with. I, I love that little relationship, and I also really enjoy the the Sanchez, uh, Maddie um, sort of. It's sort of like yeah, she's getting a bit of a hard time, and now she's getting given the keys to the car, and you know she's getting called Maddie as opposed to Boot or whatever. And it's um, I just it's it's just all coming along nicely for a first season. It's strong as. It's interesting though because what's whenever you see particularly American. Uh, police or military shows like they're always so horrible to people like you know to their own like colleagues and stuff like oh you're a boot like you don't know what you're doing you're an idiot like like it's <laughs> like I feel like in New Zealand like you you would never speak to someone like that right. right like if they, if they were new at their job like you get smacked in the like, face maybe maybe that does happen in, in some of those um more sort of ranked organizations but it just it always feels so unnecessary unnecessary but at the same time it's we're so used to seeing that as a viewer yeah it's um look this is i want to give this all the guns and i feel like i've given it so much praise that i want to balance it the, the other note i made that i thought was a bit ah oh, come on it was a bit cliche that when the guy who was looking to to stop the inheritance going to a to a potential heir he had to find someone to go do the dirty work and then they immediately cut to like this badass russian super skills baddie woman who was taking out every single target flawlessly in a training program and just she just was less like really formulaic badass and it was just it just sort of fell a bit out of place over this show but i don't know if that's the biggest criticism i've got it can't be that bad i think you're right like it felt out of place in a in a bosch context yes because she was almost more john wick and bosch is so based sort of so sort of grounded in reality um I th- I'll tell you some one of the things actually I really enjoyed is when you know Bosch made ref- like they made reference to the uh, George Floyd case. Yes, I like that they sort of reference like um, yep. a little bit of COVID stuff, and I appreciate that in a a cop drama series, they're kind of acknowledging how the world is changing and some of these big events which would impact these characters. Yeah, I thought it was really. I, I I'm surprised more shows don't do that. I think it brings it to the fore. It makes it, you know, those shows that are based on Earth within our timeline, I, I think it really it hammers home a lot of the things they're doing in the show really well. It shows some good maturity, eh? Yeah. I think um, if I was going to pick uh, a flaw in the show is when, you know, so they're doing door knocking, like Maddie's doing door knocking and they're trying to, you know, find the the, the Thai town, I'm um, not sure what they call them, the, the Thai town, they call them the... They call him a rapist, do I, they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they they're trying to find him, and you know she leaves a message with somebody, and then she's getting some food, and she sees the guy in a line, and she's like, she she actually she's like, oh, I better go talk to that guy. 
First of all, Maddie, you're a millennial. Um, we're millennials, Paul. We hate using the telephone. There's no way we're just busting up to go and talk to somebody. And I know that you would as a cop, but it just kind of felt so unnecessary that she kind of stopped what she was doing, went and pulled the guy out of line to be like, hey, yeah, so we were just, you know, just, you know, if you see anything, just give me a call. Like, you don't need to do that. That was so unrequired, but it was required from their story point of view to, you know, progress what happens in that final episode. But it just seemed out of place for me. Yeah, I think when she said, oh, I recognize that guy, that was the guy I was talking to, I think it was tenuous. It was tenuous. And obviously he's placed himself there on purpose to do what he's doing. And um, yeah, I, I... It's 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 crazy because eh? we're I'm having to to dig deep because I like to give a balanced review, but so much of this is so positive. It, it's hard sometimes. Oh, look, I, I agree. Like none of this is bad stuff, and like this is us really just sort of like picking real minor things. Should we talk for a moment about what we think might have happened at the end of that first episode? So, with Bosch basically going to he he goes to Maddie's apartment to try and find her, and she's not there. And we know that the the potential Titan. Um, rapist was hiding in her closet but what we didn't see when Bosch got there even though he kicked the door down like a real you know yeah annoying um, you've just kicked my door down dad like you, if I'm just like reading a book or something <laughs> calm down there was no struggle in that apartment and so you know they kind of like, like has she been kidnapped is she actually put up chase and she's actually after him like I actually wonder whether it's maybe not as like it could be dramatic, but it may not be as dramatic. Like it could be all kind of like tied up in the first sort of 10 minutes of the new season. It may not be a big ordeal where she's been kidnapped and Bosch has to find her. Yeah, good call. Cause I, yeah, it just it didn't feel like a scene that had been. I Yeah, I've jumped to conclusions. I have come into this thinking he, he's got her, he's taken her. And I, I don't know, maybe I need to rewatch that final scene because the, the curtain was sort of, swaying in the in the breeze and so the shadow was kind of like you know like peeled back a little bit but in the sense of like if there was a struggle in the apartment like there was nothing kicked over there was no which makes me know, like, feel like there's like a silent takedown you know with a, like a uh, like a chloroform or whatever sort of situation i, I don't know um yeah it's a it's a good good check Mm-hmm. Look, I think it's definitely got me, as I said, it's got me hyped for season two. I think if you're a Bosch fan and you haven't checked that out, you're probably annoyed at us because we've just literally told you everything that happens in the show. But <laughs> um, it's it, it really is such a great TV show. And I think, you know, you you do get more out of it having watched the the previous seasons of Bosch. Oh, yeah. But at the same time, I think the great thing when they do these types of shows like, like Samara, for example, she hadn't watched the final season of Bosch. She kind of like skipped that and came straight into this and she had no problem jumping in. So um, I, I think they kind of, it, it does create a easy entry point for people. Oh, 100%. And I, I think the um, the little recap they did at the start probably gives you sufficient to, to hit the ground running with this. This this one is rating real high already for a first season. It's as strong as it gets. This remains for me, I'd say, alongside you know, Columbo, my my favourite. This is my number one US cop drama of all time. And and I guess I guess I am including that with the wider Bosch as such, but this whole universe, this whole because I this could arguably be called Bosch season eight in some respects, but it is very much its own show with its own direction and yeah, prime video. 
Great shout, great cast, great story, get amongst it. Shall we uh, jump on in to that other little show that came out uh, last week, Paul? Uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Obi-Wan Kenobi, episodes one and two of a six-episode miniseries. We've been waiting for this and talking about this for a good couple of years. We've, you know, we did our four podcasts to to get us right up to date from The Phantom Menace all the way through to Solo. And here we go, Jedi Master Obi-Wan Kenobi watches over young Luke Skywalker uh, whilst he's in his exile on the desert planet of Tatooine. If you haven't seen the first two episodes, which at the time of recording is what's aired, you need to use the show notes and jump straight ahead to our movie of the week because I'm going to find it hard to not talk spoilers then. What are we thinking? Probably one of the greatest TV shows of all time, Paul. Like, this is, as a Star Wars fan, as good as it gets. Do you know what I mean? Like, beloved character, uh, fascinating sort of part of the timeline. I was surprised and delighted multiple times. And I think by avoiding all of the various sort of different iterations of the trailer they release and avoiding all the sort of news and videos that got put out I kind of just got to experience it firsthand as a fan yeah it's ditto for for everything you've said because I I resisted the you know the, the, the second trailer and the shorts and stuff and it's extraordinary because last week we we reviewed Better Call Saul season six part one and I remember one of us or both of us was like saying this, this could be the, you know, this is the greatest TV series of all time. We can't keep saying, <laughs> we can't keep saying these things. Oh, this is one of the greatest. But it is, Dan. It is the great, it is one of the greatest shows of all time. We just are living in a golden age of a few shows. And this, you know, we've talked about the Mandalorian and other things, but because, and you hit the nail on the head when you said these beloved characters at a time where there's been, wonder for 45 years as to how obi-wan got to tatooine living as a hermit in that house what the backstory was how when he met you know when he left vader you know he was the master and and all those things we're exploring a precious time and we're not just exploring it we're enjoying it because so much of how this has been done how much has been well written the surprise factor the delight factor as you put it is just right up there it's 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 as if we're in the writer's room Dan what's kind of fascinating about it is it's like like Obi-Wan as a character and I think I feel like I'm always banging the same drums Paul but like Whenever we see him in the the animated Clone Wars or you know in the box Obi-Wan is a true like he doesn't necessarily believe it in himself but he is he is everything that the Jedi order like he embodies everything about the Jedi order he's a professional in everything he does he's he's got such high integrity and i think you know apart from when we see uh Obi-Wan in uh, a new hope which we, we don't really get enough of him to really appreciate it this is a broken kenobi mm. and it's so like it's it's good 
like it's kind of just good to see another side of this character and just kind of like you know there's a moment in the show like I'm just sort of jumping around a bit here where like he hasn't used the force for so long and he's not even sure he can do it anymore and I would have just never thought of Kenobi not being the all-powerful General Kenobi yeah yeah it's it's unknown territory for us and I was quite shocked as to to how much he had left that sort of behind and i know this is 10 years later but like he you know even uh, i'm gonna jump all over the place as well so like when he walked into the room and he didn't know it was leia before he picked up the hood like there's no way that that would have happened to obi-wan you know back in episode three and when the guy says oh i'm surprised you fell for it i really was too because that's not the obi-wan we know and when he's sort of like dousing himself, when he's getting smacked around on the streets, uh, when he's, as you say, when he's reaching out to the force and it's like a, like a car battery that hasn't been started up in, in, in weeks or something. It was just, it was really jolting. And how, you know, I, again, jumping all over the place, but when Bale calls him and he's like, you know, Leia's gone and I need your help. And he's like, I, I can't do that. I'm not the guy. And I thought, oh yeah, here we go. He's just going to, build it up and eventually we got there but he really really sort of dwelled on that i am not obi-wan kenobi i am ben kenobi that's crazy Uh, it's so crazy even the fact that he's like he's just calling himself ben kenobi yeah i feel like can you call yourself like honey chandler or something like (laughs) like look luke should have changed his last name. Yeah. He should have definitely been something else, and you should have been Honey Chandler. Like I just don't. It's, the, 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 it's high risk. The Inquisitors are walking around. We're looking for Obi Wan. Oh, I don't know any. Maybe you mean old Ben Kenobi who lives out beyond the dunes. You know, it's, it's no, no, really, um, definitely Obi Wan. It's definitely Obi Wan. <laughs> no, no, not him. Means. I'm not going to waste our yeah. time going looking at that guy. But no, everything was spot on for me. Which uh, and I have, as I said at the start, made some notes. Funnily enough, the best thing for me across these two episodes. I actually think it was something that I didn't even anticipate we would get, even though Young Princess Leia. Yeah, I. But the, the stupid thing is, I think it was announced well over a year ago that we, that um, you know, she was going to be in it, and that um, Vivian Lara Blair, who I was just talking about from from um, Bird Box, would be playing a Young Princess Leia. But it was obviously just completely. And so I just felt naive because I thought, oh yeah, Obi-Wan's on Tatooine, protecting Luke. It never entered that we might go to Alderaan. And I just thought that she was superb. As to was uh, her her mother, played by Simone Kessel. Um, I loved all their scenes. I loved Leia's energy, her attitude, her, her confidence, her bravery. It was all so Leia, but just wrapped up in this... Uh, 10 years and it was just it was just such a, a, a treat and I, one of the scenes I wanted to talk about before I forget was when she's off with Obi-Wan and he's trying to disguise her and he buys her the green cape and he goes up to the shopkeeper and he's like oh just the cape and gives us some credits and then she's holding gloves up to Obi-Wan and he's like you don't need those and she just stares at him and then Obi-Wan turns to the shopkeeper and says yep and the gloves it's just it was just great I love their relationship straight away I feel like you couldn't have replicated Leia any better. Like it's, I think the, for such a a young actress, right? Like I think just the, the, the uh, the, the facials, the, the tone of the voice, the kind of the look in the eye, it's like, she's Princess Leia. Like they might as well have sort of like digitally, you know, de-aged 
Yeah. Um, our original, like it, it's, it's just so good. And I think, I think just the whole entire cast has just been, uh, it, it's just been wonderful. And I think, you know, like I, I really, in, actually, before I jump into the cast, I should, I should stick with Princess Leia. One of the things that I really appreciated is actually finally getting to see a bit more of Alderaan as well, because it's a place which is constantly talked about. Obviously, it gets destroyed, but as we were seeing how kind of beautiful the place was, I actually kind of really felt a bit sad. I was like, wow, this is kind of a, a thriving um, city or a thriving world. And I think we're so used to in the Star Wars world, like being on Tatooine or being on Hoth or being on Endor and actually seeing a, a obviously very sort of financially stable and sort of yes. like well-off sort of nation. It was, it was just, it was, fun and different and something that I, I've always kind of I guess wondered about in Star Wars universe and to have it sort of brought to life for me was a was a great experience. Yeah, I, I entirely agree because you know yes we've seen Alderaan in in the Clone Wars in an animated form, but this is our first live action show in between the prequels and the original classic trilogy and it's such a great time period to explore. And so seeing Alderaan like that and seeing it and its relative peak and having, you know, knowing what's going to happen to it, just dare I say, 11, 10, 11 years down the line in A New Hope is going to make that rewatch of A New Hope even more poignant because we've got to know Alderaan and the people and the forest and, and all these, these wonderful things. And even the, um, the, the start, at the start of episode one, um, which, by the way, I love the recap um, firstly, I love how they did it. Like they took all the bits from the prequels for those people who didn't do a full rewatch and then four hours worth of podcasts like we did. But that first scene, that that sort of new Order 66 scene was was really, really good. And having that, um, seeing the clone troopers in the flesh, um, that whole sort of starting period, it just really um, was a little bit of a bonus that perhaps I wasn't expecting. It was just, it's yeah, this, this whole time period with the focus on Tatooine and Alderaan and who knows where else uh, is fantastic. Also, so great to see Bail Organa again, and like oh, we've yeah. never really seen uh, Princess Leia's mother in, in live action as well. Uh, from him. so like it's just another great sort of bringing together of the, of the universe. And I think the other thing, and I know that this is really popular on the internet right now, but that just means so much more is when Leia is talking to Artu Dito, saying, you know. Obi-Wan Kenobi, he's my only hope, blah, blah, blah. Like, already, I feel so emotional about that scene because now that Leia and Obi-Wan have that true sort of, like, connection and, and friendship, no wonder she's calling out for Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yeah. And, you know, when she gets up from the, the prison cell um, and she's like, oh, Ben Kenobi. Like, like it's like, yeah. you know, I can I, I appreciate that scene so much more now. And, I, I, you know, again, like, just the foresight to make a new hope at episode four and just have all these bits that they're kind of like now retro stitching together is just genius. It is genius. And yeah, you're right. It, it's, um, it brings to life everything about what Leia thinks of Obi-Wan. Jimmy Smith's Smith's back as bail, as you say, fantastic. I feel like he is the audience. Um, how, you know, what we were just describing before. I feel like when he, when, you know, when Obi-Wan says no, and he he's like, what? He, he, you know, he turns up at, at Ben's, you know, I mean, even I'm calling him Ben now, uh, at, at his place on Tatooine. He's the whole audience because he just can't believe 
and there's a great line and I can't remember it precisely, but when Obi-Wan again tries to say, like, I'm not that guy, he, he just sort of says, well, you're going to have to be, you know, he, he, he's the one that I think it's obviously his visit that's actually triggering what we then see in episode two and what's really getting the show moving. Well, Jimmy Smith slash Bell Organa, he's a real G, Paul, because like, you know, when you think about it, like he's the, he's keeping everyone's secrets. He knows what's up with Ahsoka. Yes. He knows what's up with Obi-Wan. He knows where Luke is. Like, and he's, he's not kind of like offering up this information or sort of connecting people together. He's just kind of holding all this like amazing information. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. And, you know, when we saw him last in, in epi- well, when I mean last in terms of timeline, in 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 episode three, um, just like everyone who's you know aged, it's it's perfect because everyone's aged. It's like what I talk about with Picard when they sort of set it twenty years down the line, everyone's aged perfectly. So so Bell is now older as well. It, it all it all comes together well. Um, talking of Castan, can we switch over to the Inquisitors? Because you and I, as as fans of Clone Wars and, and particularly Rebels, I guess, um, have long been huge fans of the the Inquisitors. And again, it's one of those things that I just feel smarter than the rest of the world because we've watched the animation, we've put in the hours and watched it, and now we know exactly who these characters, or at least we know who the Grand Inquisitor is. It's so good, once again, having an animated character come to the live screen and we know all about them and straight away we're one step ahead. I also like agree. I totally agree. I love the the they didn't overuse the Inquisitors either in these sort of first two episodes. Like they really were kind of like this hard hitting presence that was you know they're looking for people. They're angry about it. They're they're doing dark things. You know they're they're hanging by his arms. Poor poor uh, Benny Safety, who we know from oh, Uncut yes. Gems, and I was going to talk you know, about they're, him. They're, they're hunting down Jedi, like, and I think they kind of did a little bit of the the Sonic the Hedgehog on the Grand Inquisitor, because um, you know there was a lot of backlash from that first trailer. Have they have they got the look of the of the Grand Inquisitor particularly right? And I think by they've they've given him the sort of the more red Sith eyes. They've I think they've even kind of like done a little bit of work on the sort of the the head shape. And I think because again, like you mentioned, because we've seen the Inquisitors in um in rebels we, we've kind of got there a, a look that we're looking for but i think it, it all just kind of worked for me none of it fell out of place i enjoyed their kind of presence i feel like we've still got more to see particularly from the fifth brother you know a favorite character from the fast universe <laughs> yes i knew you'd spot that um yeah we, i guess we haven't seen much of the yeah the fifth brother you're right um song kang uh, i don't feel we've seen enough of him yet but he's good so far rupert friend as the grand inquisitor you know, I I think he's more reminiscent of when he played Agent 47 than perhaps Peter Quinn from Homeland, who, you know, one of those great all-time top TV characters. I think he's superb. His delivery of the, the Grand Inquisitor's lines is spot on. He's intimidating and he needs to be because that's that's how the Grand Inquisitor is in the animated show. He is fearsome. He is not to be to be messed with. And then Moses Ingram as, as Reaver, is is very good and in many ways she's actually driving the whole story because you know it's her determination to get to um to get to to kenobi that's sort of forcing his hand with the whole trap that's been set with leo and bail and um question for you dan when the grand inquisitor says to reva you came to us from the gutter i'm thinking Reva is going to be one of the younglings that escaped Order 66 and now she's gone bad. What do you reckon? 
100%. I think that's why they kind of, um, they focused in on showing us those those younglings. And um, there was one of the younglings that did look like a young uh, Moses Ingram. So, and I, you know, you would imagine that all of those Jedi's obviously went into into hiding um, and, and that would have been on the streets. And, you know, you and I, Paul, being the superior people, we are, know that Inquisitors are, are largely sort of sourced from, from fallen Jedi. So... Um, it all it all adds up. It's um, it's it's going to be interesting to see because you know anyone who's you know we've given warnings for spoilers here, but anyone who's seen uh, Rebels knows that the Grand Inquisitor is in is in that show, which is set after uh, Obi Wan Kenobi, and so whilst it may seem that Reavers killed him, unless unless there's going to be a situation where he's somehow cloned or whatever he's he's just been badly wounded at this point i'm presuming yeah i would say you know one thing that we do know more about the star wars universe now is force healing and you know a little baby grogu might just wander out give him the old sort of you know on the chest and he'll be right as rain i think you're right like either there's you know more sort of promotions of grand the Grand Inquisitor, but I don't think that'll be the case. I, I think that he's potentially not as wounded as as we think. And we also don't know how, uh, you know, there's 20 million sentient space beings in the Star Wars universe. We don't know whether he has his organs in the same place that uh, a human would have their organs, for example. And yeah, so yeah, he may well be, okay, he may have seven hearts, for example. So Correct, correct. Or at least two, like the Doctor. Um, Anthony Daniels, very briefly, as C-3PO. I wonder if that's all we're going to get, but just having him in the background there translating was a nice touch. Tamara Morrison shows up as a, as a homeless veteran clone trooper. There is some debate as to whether or not it may be Captain Rex. And I was of the opinion, oh, if it was, surely he would have recognized Obi-Wan no matter what. But um, either way, a really nice touch. I think originally when I first saw it, I thought, oh, is that Captain Rex? And I think I was mainly thinking that because of the blue. But on sort of deeper thought, I, I, I definitely don't think it would be Rex. I think if that Rex, we kind of know so much about Rex's story from the, the Clone Wars and Rebels and Bad Batch and, and all that type of thing that, I, you know, Rex, I guess for a starter, is, is always bald as a character. I think if they were actually going to introduce uh, a clone character to us, I think it would be Cody because yeah. Cody and, and Obi-Wan – their G's, you know, like they hang out. So um, I, I think for the sake of the story, this this was just showing us a, a, a clone that's kind of lost its sort of purpose. Yeah. And I think what what's kind of interesting about it is I, I would have thought if you, like given the state of the Empire and what's happening, it wouldn't be very safe to be like kind of wandering around in your clone armor. Like you would either – you know, you'd be best to actually get rid of all of it and truly go undercover. Um, or I, I just imagine like the Empire would deal with you. Exactly. Oh, 100% they would. I just want to quickly mention a couple of people because uh, Joe Edgerton played Owen Lars in uh, Revenge of the Sith and, and so on. And, and so it was so good that he got to return as Owen. And we haven't really seen Bonnie P.S. as, as Baru, but she's back too. I thought he was really convincing as Owen and he started to really remind me of the Owen we knew from uh, from A New Hope until the, the Stormtroopers came to visit him. So I thought he 
has been great so far. And you mentioned earlier Benny Safdie, um, who I was actually I was actually more thinking of him in Good Time. I thought he was so good in the movie Good Time opposite Robert Patterson, and I just was so stoked to see him. And I, I can't really call this a criticism because this is a six episode series, but it was still such a shame that his Jedi character got killed off already. It was, you know, it was just. It, I just felt like we may have had a bit of a story with him. So, but it had a hard heading, you know, seeing him hung up. Wow. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's almost kind of as dark as it gets for Disney, right? Yeah. Like, you know, like that's, that's, well, well, already, and then, you know, Disney's already had to go and put a, um, uh, I guess a, a notice on the on the front of this episode, you know, after the terrible things that have recently happened in, in Texas, for example, and you know, to start the show with, let's go back to Order sixty six and the 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 killing of all of these Padawan, you, you couldn't have sort of had worse timing to kind of bring bring this back in. So already, I think you know, and this is always a, a fear, right, when Disney takes over things, is are they still going to be able to deal with some of these darker topics? And I think. They do deal with them quite well, and they often deal with them in a quite a tasteful way. Yeah, they do, and I, I think that's key because yeah, it is with what's going on in the world. It's 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 you know you you got to be really careful what you put out there, and I think the warnings are are appropriate. But uh, you'd hope that Disney would always deal with things, uh, you know, carefully and and properly, and uh, you know, and yeah, I'm I'm confident that they will. Uh, Dan, another point I've made a note of here. I was reminded of, there's a moment when the the Quisitors reminded me of the relationship Tarkin and Krennic had from Rogue One. So when Tarkin was on Krennic's back about the failures of the Death Star and constantly putting it down and constantly criticizing Krennic, and then once the Death Star was shown to to work and be operational, Tarkin's like, well, that's it, I'm taking over. And here, Reaver's, you know, as I said, she's driving the story, she's doing all the work trying to find Kenobi, and then yeah, she's been constantly criticised by the Grand Inquisitor, but then when Kenobi is in the frame, he says, oh, I'll bring him in myself. We don't need you anymore. I thought there was a very sort of similar power dynamic as there was with Tarkin. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting, right, because I think the Sith themselves, like, you know, like it's such a, you know, it's kind of built on the dark side of the Force and hatred and kind of being and being evil and it's it was interesting that they were constantly putting Reva back in her place like whoa 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 you're going too far yeah. like just calm down you've been too loud and it's interesting that like and we've always known that there's such um competition within within the empire ranks and the you know we always know that there's there's Sith trying to take over to be the the, the one master but it's it was very in, in your face I think over these two episodes yeah no I think you're right Criticism from me, Dan, because I've got to find something here. One of the things about The Mandalorian and The Book of Boba Fett that I absolutely love is the music, the theme music to both shows. Um, I mean, The Mandalorian music was legendary. By the time we'd seen The Book of Boba Fett, the, the closing music to The Book of Boba Fett with those great credits, I actually thought was even even better. It's, we're only two episodes in, but the music despite John Williams being there to do the Obi-Wan theme, hasn't got me yet. And I wonder if that's something I just need to give some time, but it's not something I've picked up on yet, the music. How dare you, Paul? How, How dare, dare you I, talk about John Williams? I know. It's, it's, I've got to do it. I've got to bring some sort of criticism here. That's as far as I can go, is, is I just haven't been, I haven't found myself hooked in on the music yet. If I was going to give any criticisms, and and I'm, I'm really like stretching here, it would kind of be the sometimes goofy chases that they have with people like particularly where like you know layers running around trees oh, yeah. and sort of like like it's it's like you go you they do such a good job and then they kind of like do dumb things like that that kind of just remind you that like actually like it's 
it's just for kids you know like it's and it's weird right and it's even the sort of the chase scene like the fact that um reva managed to track down flea from the red hot chili peppers and get him to come along and be a, a bounty hunter and then his crew kind of doing this awkward, awkward kind of waddle run as they try to capture Leia. It's like, like the, like we could just not. It's like the 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 scooter chase in Book of Boba Fett. <laughs> oh, like, wow. if we, it wasn't that bad. But it's like it, you wouldn't have to do much to not have it look so kind of like corny. Yeah, no, I I hear what you're saying. Like it's um. Actually, the the chasing scenes that was actually quite stressful because once his once his photo once Obi Wan's photo was out in the open on it was on every screen, I found it very tense him walking around. Every time his hood was down, I was literally screaming at the telly, "Put your hood back up!" I was just like, "What, what was he thinking? He's going to get caught." I couldn't cope with it. Um, I I was, you know, as I said, I was shocked about how broken he was. He he didn't seem to have lost too many of his moves when he got into that that fist fights um with what looked like one of Darth Maul's mates from from Death of Me. I thought that was um quite interesting. And the other thing I noticed was um how he's got this droid. So when he gets home, the droid comes up from the sand and either gives him a green light or a red light. And I'd really like to have one of those in my house so that if when I get home, if it comes up and it's a red light, that means I've got there's there's visitors and I know I should I should probably go for a walk around the block or something. You know, it's like I really think that's a great security feature. I feel like it's a great and also terrible security feature all at once because it's kind of like, so like there's someone in there. Like, can I get a door or a lock or like a <laughs> someone to actually stop this even happening? But uh, I do appreciate sort of the the canonness of all of these things, and I even just love the little interaction between Obi Wan and the Jawa. Yes, Tilik or Tika, and it's it kind of just you know. It reinforces how endearing the the Jawa relationship is. It's it's that was such a great scene, and like how it was blatantly obvious that the 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 Jawa had stolen the part out of the moisturizer, which was why it wasn't working properly. And then he sort of says, "Oh, look, I've got one." And Obi Wan's like, "If you could, if you're going to steal from me, could you at least do the courtesy of cleaning it before you give it back, sell it back to me." And then the Jawa's like, "Cleaning costs extra." <laughs> it's like. It's they've really never deviated from the Jawa persona, and I and I love that the guy that was pretending to be a Jedi, uh, I can't think of his name now. I love that whole starting scene when Obi Wan calls him out because it gives us a for me it gives us a first glance of the Obi Wan that we know from the prequels because he he even injected a bit of sarcasm. So when the guy's talking about the price it would be to to find his 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 daughter, as it were, and um, and. Obi-Wan's like oh that light really is quite unforgiving you know it's virtually the only scene in these two episodes where he seems sure of himself and that I have confidence that he's going to come out on top because the way he is right now if Vader winds up meeting him in episode three and we'll, we'll come to our predictions in a minute uh I'm not sure what Obi-Wan could do at this point to stop Vader cutting him in half within the first 20 seconds because this guy oh, yeah. yeah I reckon you and I could have a go at Obi-Wan at this point yeah, no, definitely. A eh? um, the character you're talking about is uh, Camille uh, Nanjani, mm. yeah, um, and like such a, you know, because when you see someone like him, like being in, in the Star Wars universe, like, it's, like is he going to be one of the Inquisitors? And it was so fun to kind of see uh, somebody kind of riffing off what it what it's what it is to be a Jedi and kind of running scams. And you would imagine that would be rampant in the universe. So yeah. I thought that was really fun. I think um, the other character I really enjoyed was Leia's droid, and I know that they've already like 
like launched a, a bunch of toys around that. But uh, is it Lola or the? Yes, the, that's right. Yeah, again, already got the adorability of Grogu, of BB-8, of R2-D2. It's it's good, you know. There's a lot of yeah. There's so we're going to have the security droid that's going to tell me if there's visitors in the house. We're going to have Lola, which is going to be the perfect companion for for kids. It's there's so many marketing opportunities there. Actually, that droid that Obi Wan has that means his line. Oh, don't seem to ever remember owning a droid. He's really lost his memory by the time he gets to a new hope, hasn't he? Mm, oh yeah. Well, I guess he's kind of, you know, largely been living alone in a cave, um, not really talking to anyone. And obviously, he's trying to give um, a young Luke Skywalker T fourteen Skyhopper so that he can play with it. But no go. So good. I love that. One other thing, I need you to just clarify for me so that I can sleep well tonight. The fact that the recap ended with Yoda talking about. Uh, teach you how to talk to your old master Qui-Gon I will and in the first 20 minutes we've got him waking up from a nightmare about Anakin and Padme saying master we are going to get without a shadow of a doubt Liam Neeson at the very least vocal and hopefully force ghosts in this series right? I think there's a half measures guarantee in here Paul we're definitely getting <laughs> Great. we're definitely getting some Qui-Gon in there there's I think because in my mind in A New Hope, when Obi-Wan, um, you know, strike me down, I'll become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. We need him to learn how to become a Force ghost. Because if, like, and I think and we know that, that Qui-Gon's got the information of how to do it. So I think it's actually a bit, because, you know, this, this is a story about Obi-Wan getting back to his roots. It's about him reconnecting with the Force. And until he until he reconnects, he can't have that conversation with Qui-Gon. Correct. It's it's funny how things work out in the universe. And I can't remember if we mentioned this when we did our Revenge of the Sith episode three podcast deep dive or not. But um, Liam Neeson was scheduled to appear in Revenge of the Sith as the Force Gun, Force, Force Ghost Qui-Gon, but couldn't because he, I don't know if he's broken his leg or broken his ankle. There was some sort of, something had happened that prevented him from doing so. And so they had to scrap that whole scene. And at the time it was just gutting thinking, oh, wouldn't have been great to have had that. But now... Now it means we we're getting it in a, in possibly even more form because there's more time to play with. Even though we've only got four more episodes on TV, I think I think there's a real strong sense there. I have all sorts of theories going on down. I have a theory that Mace Windu's going to show up and that he's going to get killed in the line of duty by Vader protecting Obi Wan. You know, we never had confirmation that Mace was gone. Um, I oh, I don't want to start speculating too much, but yeah, I feel like I'm really trying to keep myself in check this time because I feel like. <laughs> Every time with Bad Batch, with Book of Boba Fett, with Mandalorian, I like to dream big and I like to have all these big like theories. And I'm just trying to, I'm trying to keep my powder dry here, Paul. I'm trying to just sort of go with it because I feel like when I start doing that, I start to kind of imagine the story that I want. And when I don't get it, it kind of disappoints me. So I think I'll tell you one thing that I kind of, I kind of wish that the first trailer didn't reveal so much about this. Like imagine us seeing a young Luke Skywalker for the first time pretending he's pod racing on top of his little house. Yeah. Like, that would have been such a magical, like, oh, my God, there's young Luke Skywalker. But I feel like it's – I know they, they have to give something in the trailer, but it's like – it's a shame that those sorts of moments get ruined. It is. And, look, I guess there'll be people listening out there saying it's your own fault for, for watching it, and, and we do, and we try to avoid too much. But that's why I maintain the Force Awakens teaser trailer was – the greatest trailer of all time because all we had was the 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 walking behind 
we didn't even know who it was, but it turns out it was Kylo Ren seeing his lightsaber activate uh, the dark side and the light. And then you have the Falcon flying through the sky and that's all you need. And you're hooked instantly without any spoils. Um, yeah, I, I know what you mean, because what I, what I am glad about is from memory, and I don't have a good one, I don't think there's anything else coming uh, that we haven't seen in that trailer. So mm-hmm. I feel like everything else from here on in is going to be new. My next, because I told you I had questions for you, Dan, uh, is um, will we get, because we're getting Vader at some point, will we get James Earl Jones doing the voice of, of, of Darth Vader? We know we've got Hayden Christensen. We've already seen him with those eyes at the end of the episode. James Earl Jones is 91 years old. Is is he back voicing Vader, do you think? I don't think so. I, I'm not feeling that one. No, okay. I um, I think he's there. I reckon. I reckon. You reckon? I reckon he's going to do it. I, I, because he didn't that he didn't long ago do the Lion King, um, and he, he was also in Coming to America, the second one. <laughs> I can't believe we're talking about Coming to America, um, but um, I think he's going to be there, and that is the that is the only thing I'm setting myself up for for disappointment if he's not. I think. Yeah, maybe I guess it's a good shout because I guess what what's kind of the alternative? It's it's interesting because I'm listening to a, an audio book at the moment and Darth Vader features in it, and it's obviously not James Earl Jones, and it's kind of like ugh, like it kind of it feels a bit gross. <laughs> yeah. So um, I you're probably right. I, yeah, I, I haven't really put too much thought into it, but I think it's a good one. I have no no real expectations. Like when I was saying about Mace Windu or whatever, I. I they could have no one else, and I mean no one else, turn up in this series from here on in the next four episodes, and and there's there's going to be no disappointment for me in that respect. So I've you know they, they could be the emperor, they could be Tarkin. I don't think they will be because it doesn't feel like an imperial empire type story. But there's nothing else. But yeah, the James L. Jones was was the was the one. Uh, what was my other question? I uh, had for you. I'm sure, I had another question for you, Dan. Let me scroll through what i've got here oh that's that's right do you know why the empire never went looking for jedi on alderaan no idea because they were looking in alderaan places get out of here paul sorry about that jesus (laughs) jesus um (laughs) where where do you go from there's a number of people right now shaking their head down don't worry yeah yeah yeah, it's almost um, a shame, isn't it? That like, like it, and I say this with a kid who's kind of ate all the candy, wishing I kind of saved it. Because we've only got six episodes, it's a shame we've already had two. Like I'm yeah, already a bit sad that like we're about to watch the the third episode, and it's like, oh, we're in the middle. Like, and I I know that uh, Ewan McGregor has said he would be open to doing a second season, um, but I just feel like I, I can't I can't even let that let dream no. We've got six. List. We've got six. We've got to be happy with that. It's like a time machine, though. Watching this, I've never believed that time travel or time machines were possible. But you sit down and watch these two episodes. It says it's fifty-one minutes and and forty-two minutes. You sit down and watch them back to back. It should be, you know, an hour and a half. It feels like it's gone in thirty minutes. It's incredible time machine. Agreed. Agreed. It's in fact, <laughs> it's funny because we were when this came out, uh, New Zealand. We were we were like, oh, we're gonna get some takeaways for dinner, and then I <laughs> I've got this real weird thing, Paul. We're like, when I'm looking forward to a TV show, I'm like, I hope I don't die or something. And I was like, <laughs> I don't want to go too far and get into like a car accident and miss Obi Wan. I'll be real effing annoyed. And so I was like, we <laughs> had to keep it local. That's so good. 
that's yeah ah oh, i better not because i haven't seen obi-wan and i might die yeah that's 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 risk adverse i i admire that <sighs> yeah <clears throat> it's um it's it's special it's special things happen inside my brain my last question because we must move on to our movie of the week but my last question for you dan is given that we had you know th- that wonderful finale where reva uh, talks about vader what an honor for her to be able to, to to use his name and bring him into the series and to see that look on obi-wan's face when he realizes that he is alive and then he says anakin and it just flicks straight over to to uh, to vader looking back at us with those like cold dead eyes and that's a perfect way to end it, an episode of television it's perfect will we will we see vader in episode three and if you, if the answer to that question is yes will vader and obi-wan meet in this third episode i think we will see vader in episode three i don't think they'll meet yet yeah, i agree okay i think the meets probably a penultimate even maybe final episode of the of oh the you're just giving us one episode i'm i'm picking at least two but oh I think the bigger question here for me in all of this, Paul, is how does Reva know that Darth Vader is Anakin Skywalker? Because I feel like if if you were reporting to Darth Vader and he knew your old your old title, you'd be done. You'd be done, mate. And the only way that I think that she can know is because she saw Anakin come to the temple and start doing some slaying i like to consider this you know like if i was going to go on uh mastermind what's your chosen specialist subject i feel like i could say oh, star wars thank you very much i feel like i'm i feel like i'm pretty but i i'm you've caught me off guard here dan i did not realize that she referred to i must have missed it in the in the heat of the moment about that she referred to him as anakin or had any she said i must you know, uh, lord vader will be pleased and and then she was like, oh, you didn't know he was alive. But does she actually talk about Anakin? She says the word Anakin. Oh, my goodness. How did I not? That's incredible. Yeah. What is the answer to that question? Because as far as I knew, it was basically um, Palpatine, Yoda, and Obi-Wan who knew about this. Yeah. like that. So there's a mystery to be uncovered here. Oh, and wow. I, I just feel like whatever it is, like if Vader knew... Don't don't dead name me. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, uh, I I feel like there's a number of ways that people could get invaders going to take no prisoners. That well, this half measure. This is called half measures for a reason. That's something I completely miss, and that is a massive plot point. So I need a rewatch already. All right, Paul. We're only uh, we're only two episodes into this, and we've already got a, a podcast running along at almost an hour and a half. Shall we? Uh, Shall we jump on over to our, our movie of the week? Yeah. Oh, and look, I'm excited about this as well, Dan. So if you're joining us for the first time, every week Dan and I take it in turns to watch and review a movie of the week. We announce in our Discord community which movie we'll be watching um, that week, a week in advance, and you can join the community by clicking on the notes, uh, the link in the show notes, sorry. This week, Dan, we have gone with the 2022 movie Kimmy. We have indeed. So sometimes with Movie of the Week, Paul, I play this little game with myself where I'm like, I'm not even going to watch the trailer. I'm not going to like pre-check out any sort of, you know, what is its Rotten Tomatoes or IMDb score. I'm just going to go purely based on the poster 
and what's in front of me. And this is what I did with Kimmy. I, apart from seeing that Zoe Kravitz was in it, and I, I just I went in with nothing. And I, it's kind of like it's this fun little game where it's like, oh, what's going to happen? What's this movie going to be about? Like, and it's it's I I kind of had a, a, a relatively decent time with this one. So. Zoe Kravitz's character is a suffers from agoraphobia, and she's a tech worker who uncovers some evidence in a crime. And it's kind of one of those fascinating things where she reviews audio logs for. If you said, for example, "Hey Siri" or "Hey Alexa," I probably just triggered triggered everyone's devices. Um, I, in fact, I've just triggered my phone right next to me. Um, when the audio message or the request is misunderstood, she reviews that audio and. Um, helps the AI learn different sort of algorithms. And in that process, she she hears a crime in the background and basically starts this chain of events. And the big problem is, is um, Kimmy needs to take this evidence to their, their local tech office, but she's so terrified of leaving the house. And it's kind of an interesting movie because, you know, we've, we've just basically come out of a, we're not even really out of it, are we? Like we're in a, a two-year pandemic where... You know, people have got this whole new way of working. Obviously, this wasn't really about the pandemic because some terrible things happened to this character, but it's it was a a quite a good thriller. I thought to myself, yeah, I'm I'm 100 in the the same camp as you there, Dan. I I thought it was a superb movie. I like you came in knowing very very little. I had no real expectation. I hadn't heard anything about it, and it literally when I realized, oh, I need to choose a movie, I, I just caught my eye when I was browsing through through Neon to see what they had to offer. And um, just on the strength of how much, you know, you and I, when we reviewed the Batman, you know, this is the second 2020 movie I've seen Zoe Kravitz in this year. And in both now, she's really been superb. I'd say it's possibly her best movie since she did her two Harry Potter films. And she's... She's really moving into almost like a peak, I think. Like I thought she was convincing throughout. I thought um, she really, I really bought into her agoraphobia and the anxiety that she suffers from. I thought that that was really effective. But yeah, the um, the story um, and the, the horrible things that are happening and, and, the, and the struggle for her to be able to, and her determination was really compelling. Yeah, it's... Um... It's kind of one of those, like, I think it's unfortunately one of those movies that you probably only watch once. Like, it doesn't probably have a lot of rewatchability for me. Yeah. But I did enjoy, like, I did enjoy, I think, Zoe Kravitz's sort of character growth and where they kind of sort of, how they move quite quickly through the story, but also spent enough time helping you kind of understand the the struggles and the, I guess, kind of mental health issues that she's facing. Though in saying that, like this is so often a trait that they pair together with, like kind of tech workers, and like like it feels like a a movie we've kind of seen a few times before in the past, but you kind of give it a bit of a pass because it's kind of got enough kind of new elements thrown in there. Yeah, oh, there are enough new elements, and just talking of those elements, got a question for you, Dan, and you just sort of touched on it. There was a couple of scenes where I forget what country he's from, but that guy who was who was. talking um what's zoe kravitz's character's name goodness me talk about a half minute angela Ange- uh, angela yeah, Charles. Angela, he's talking to her and as he's talking about kimmy he every time he sort of mentioned kimmy it would it would awake wake up his kimmy device in his room and i'm just thinking just like you did then when you sort of mentioned uh siri how do people 
called Alexa in this world cope? Or how is it fair that these people presumably can't have a voice activated device in their home because it will just go off all the time? It's like, surely there should be some built in thing where you can say, <laughs> can I change the name or something? I don't know. The, the, I'm, I'm pretty sure. I- I'm sure I've seen some actual news articles from sort of several years ago where people called Alexa have have had this exact struggle, and I wouldn't be surprised if there's something in the, in the settings where you can actually maybe give it a a new name. Surely, incredible. Um, Who knows? The, I just the want other to, thing. I, oh, just really quick, Dan. I don't know how to pronounce his name. I never do. David Cope, Cop, K O E P P, the writer of this. In terms of the quality of the writing of this, this guy has written some of the. The best movies, I would say, Mission Impossible, uh, Screenplay, Jurassic Park, Panic Room, Spider-Man, uh, Indiana Jones, uh, Jack Ryan. Uh, there's others in there that I, I, I'm just scrolling through, but he's he's really got a great pedigree for, for screenwriting. And I think that really comes through because there was really good tension back and forth like when she was being chased and then she got put in the van but then she got out but then when they get to the home they're waiting for her but then she got away and gone into the ceiling at every turn it went back and forth in terms of is she going to get away or are they going to get her and right down until the definitive moment of the movie in terms of how it ends i had no idea if we were going to have a movie where she brings down the whole organization and she lives happily ever after or if she was going to get taken out of you know and this would end up showing how this the, the machine just carries on. I I thought it was really well done. Sometimes when I, I watch movies like this and I, I like Zoe Kravitz character actually turns into quite a badass as this sort of movie progresses to the sort of very end. And I like to think is, could this be an origin story to Catwoman in in the Batman? <laughs> and, and I obviously, you know that it's not, but it's like, I like to kind of just sort of have this like game in my mind that actually could this, could this all operate in the same universe? Yep. And I think this is this is quite a fun watch, and I think like I've seen this appear on my uh, neon new movies list a few times now, and haven't really given it too much of a second look. Uh, I think the the tile card is often her with her sort of blue hair and her hood pulled up, but I think if you do enjoy sort of a a crime thriller, this is definitely one to check out. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. I would um, I would say because this is a great runtime, hour and twenty nine. I feel like maybe it took a little while to get going. And I only say that because because of the short runtime, I felt like the way they played out the opening 2025 was if as if this was going to be a two-hour movie. But again, minor criticism. I, I really, really came into this uh, not knowing what I was going to get and just thought it was you know another great Steven Soderbergh movie. Let's not forget Steven Soderbergh as a director, just, you know, same with Ocean's Eleven, just... He's just just genius. Yeah, I agree, and I think I think this is the difference. Here. Like when a movie has quite a, a tight runtime, you I kind of feel like I brace myself for a better journey. I'm like, oh look, it's you know they, they don't have too long to kind of like set up the main premise. They don't have too long to kind of like bring all the action together. And I think this this kind of works well as a package. What would you give it on the old guns akimbo scale? I'm going to give this one three and a half guns. I really really enjoyed this. Wow, wow, that's that's a a great rating. I was going to give it three guns myself, um, and I think that's probably as I was saying before, mostly because it's a bit of a um, a, a one viewing for me. I couldn't see yeah. myself okay. necessarily going back to it. Yeah, fair call, fair call. So yeah, if you're in New Zealand, that's available to watch on Neon Dan. What is your pick of the week of everything we've watched this week? 
God, it's got to be the office pool. No, it's um, <laughs> it's it's got to be Obi Wan. It's it's a wait. Does it? It's a tough. It be boss? It's a tough week. Know. It's a tough week because there. But yeah, uh, in any other week, I would say, or maybe not last week, Bosch would be the winner for me. But yeah, there's too much history from my childhood that makes this this Obi Wan already the pick right. of the week. And as a danger, as we go through for the next four podcasts, that it may be my pick of the week each time. But uh, I will judge everything on its merit. Um, Right now, though, Dan, it is time for you to give us a few news headlines. I'm going to wrap through this news pretty quickly because I feel like it's a, this is almost a 24-hour podcast. First of all, big condolences. Ray Liotta, star of Goodfellas, passed away age 67. Mm, no age. That's just Very, that's no age. No age at all. And uh, such a sad time, such a, a fantastic actor. Uh, Jodie Foster is um, looking like she's going to be joining season four of True Detective, which I think will be a great watch. True Detective is already a fantastic show, and I think Jodie Foster is going to bring a real presence to that. Uh, There is a literal metric ton of Star Wars news, so I'm going to really focus sort of on headlines here, Paul, and you sort of pull out some stuff that you want. This first one isn't really Star Wars, but it came out during the Star Wars celebration, is that there's a new trailer for the Willow um, TV show, which is coming out, that looks very interesting. Um, But getting into the Star Wars side of things, some of this is not some movie or TV show, so we've got Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic 2 is coming to Nintendo Switch. Amazing. Um, Star Wars Jedi Survivor, the sequel to um, Star Wars Fallen Order, that's coming out in 2023. Continue the Cal Kester story. Amazing. We've got another new Star Wars TV show called um, Skeleton Crew, starring Jude Law, coming out in 2023. Hyped. We've got a release date for The Mandalorian Season 3. That's coming out in February 2023. And John Favreau's already at work on Season 4 can't wait we've got our first trailer for uh andor which is coming to disney plus in august august paul <laughs> june july august it's, it's what a time to be alive it looks so good and you know we we, we talk about this a little bit as well it, it's it's always tough because you know um diego luna re, um, reprising his role as kissing in andor and we know that he kind of meets his his doom in rogue one so it's always kind of a little bit sort of frustrating when we have these shows uh, where we know that our main characters are going to be safe but regardless this trailer this looks second to none lots of sort of live action a lot sort of moving away from sound stages so I'm definitely very hyped about that. They've already got news about Star Wars Celebration 2023, which is going to be in London. We've got the Bad Batch Season 2 trailer, which is coming out in fall 2022, which for those of us in New Zealand, when I sort of Google that, that's probably sort of September, October, November-ish time. So not too much of a wait for that. Not to mention, Paul, how much goodness is in the Bad Batch Season 2 trailer. Definitely going to do a rewatch of that. We've got uh, a young Wookiee with a lightsaber. We've got Commander Cody. Oh, God, it's just it, it's, it's too much. We've got another new Star Wars TV show coming, Tales of the Jedi, and it's an animated series featuring um, Ahsoka, Count Dooku, and Liam Neeson's Liam Neeson's Qui-Gon Jinn, he's already in the office. Let's get him to record a few lines for Obi-Wan. Like, it's all coming together. This is going to be like a, a short um, a short little series that sort of focuses half its time on Ahsoka and, and Count Dooku. Um, and it, 
it's going to be great. I feel like they're going to pull out some of the stuff from the books, some of the stuff maybe from um, like Rebels or um, who knows what, Clone Wars, just to sort of bring it all together. We've got the, though we haven't seen it yet, the at Star Wars Celebration, they tease Star Wars, um, they, they sort of gave a, a first look at the Ahsoka series and it's got a whole bunch of Rebels characters apparently in it. We've got Sabine Wren, we've got Harris and Dula, we've got Chopper, like I'm going to have to rewatch Rebels, Paul, before this comes out because it looks like it picks up right where Rebels left off. One of the most underrated um, Star Wars animated TV shows. So, so much. There's still a little bit more. We've got a Lego Star Wars Summer Vacation movie coming out soon. Now, that's not necessarily top of the list, but still. It, it, <laughs> that's canon, there's, right? There's so much stuff coming. We've got Ian McDermott, who um, plays um, Palpatine. He got asked, would he be open to returning to sort of some sort of Palpatine uh, story, standalone show? His response, that would be very interesting. <laughs> Not a no, Paul. Not a no. He's, he's interested. And then finally, one actual bit of sort of news that has really sort of emerged just recently, and this is actually from, I guess, from the – from the Star Wars fan pages, it's come out from Ewan McGregor. There's actually quite a bit of really horrible, terrible sort of backlash um, to um, Reva's sort of portrayal as, as one of the Inquisitors, and it's it's really sad, I think, because it's it's kind of showing the the horrible side of any fandom, and it's obviously sort of re- launched a whole bunch of. Uh, terrible sort of racist messages to this to this character and i think as ewan mcgregor said in his sort of release like if that's the type of star wars fan you are then the star wars universe doesn't want you and i couldn't agree more like this is 2022 we don't need this sort of racism and behavior in this fandom there's so much good in there and it's it's so terrible to think that you know these these actors and actresses who are who are putting themselves out there get treated like 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 garbage by the by small amounts of the fandom that's me, Paul. I've got it. Without going into any of that detail, there's so much. Oh, there's there's so much in there, and I do want to just quickly touch on the the Moses Ingram uh, piece because that is, you know, at the time of recording, that's just sort of come out today, and uh, just horrible, just a uh, just unbelievable, really, and yet at the same time, unfortunately, unsurprising. I do feel Ewan McGregor's address on social media, and I appreciate you know Disney and Star Wars. Uh, you know, sending that un- unaltered uh, video that he's clearly recorded on his phone out to everyone because I feel like the way he addresses people who quite clearly are watching the show, who presumably uh, in some way are, are a Star Wars fan, he's he's calling them out and saying, "Well, you're not a Star Wars fan that I recognise." And I feel like I feel like I hope that that will have some sort of impact. Terrible, Dan. I want to dive back into the, the the better news from the desk, and I couldn't help thinking as you were talking. If anyone's listening, who back in the late nineties, early two thousands, was saying, "Oh, there's too much Star Trek on TV. You've got your Deep Space Nine, your Voyager, your Enterprise. It's you've oversaturated it. We're getting Star Trek fatigue." I'd love to bring that person forward to where we are right now with 73 Star Wars TV shows running concurrently and every one of them's giving us something new and we're excited about all of them and the trailers are looking great and it is absolutely unbelievable. There's so much in there. I think the Andor trailer caught my eye. I also heard a rumour that Ezra may show up in the uh, the Ahsoka show alongside Sabine Wren as well. I mean, 
Crikey, why not get the whole gang back together? Um, there is a lot in there. <laughs> the ta- the Tales of the Jedi, the animated show, that feels like it could be a real a real treat um, because the Dooku story. I really hope they get Corey Burton back as Dooku. There's so much in there, Dan, but we're on a, we're running a long podcast here, so I won't dive into all of it. The only thing I wanted to throw in there: two pieces of New Zealand news, two TV shows uh, that I really enjoy: Creamery confirm for season two great new zealand comedy so that's fantastic and the panthers um which i watched season one of uh last year and was a fantastic first season that's got a season two as well so great to see two new zealand shows get greenlit for a um for a second season i'll skip in quickly and give highlights from the mailbag um Medical Soul Season 6 review last week. Um, we posted that on our social media and we had a we had a thank you Half Measures podcast message from uh, Luis Moncado who plays Marco Salamanca. Um, he also posted our review to his Instagram story. So I guess that means we're part of the cartel now, Dan. Um, we had shares from the editor, Chris McCaleb, from the writer, Gordon Smith. He shared it as well. He, he, he wrote the the story for Nacho's final episode. So he is a top, top writer and it was great really appreciated him sharing our review and then ray seahorn none other than kim wexler herself uh for whom there's so much speculation about her character since obviously saul's wife was never around in breaking bad and we talked about it last week she shared our review on twitter which from a social media perspective i have to say was a real uh highlight of the week uh clinton liberty who plays di dunn in the irish show holding i talked about last week he shared our review on his instagram story with a little tagline love from new zealand and he even included a location pin on his post for wellington new zealand which was a nice touch as well i've never had that uh, done before so that was nice the 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 writer or the screenplay who, who adapted graham norton's novel dominic treadwell collins also shared our review so that was fantastic and finally, last week's peak performance was uh, Tandy Way Newton. And there was a clear number one here uh, for the three picks that we received. Ryan, Westworld, uh, Terry, Westworld. And we had a 3-2-1 from Mr. Chalmers of Gringo, Chronicles of Riddick, and number one, also Westworld. Paddy was not available to gain access to the internet, it seems, this week to give us his 3-2-1. And whilst... We can't be sure why. I do have a source who tells me they overheard a conversation at the Cork Airport Business Park just off the N27. And Paddy is rumoured to be either incarcerated, again, has been forced to enter witness protection, or he is simply very, very drunk. That is our mailbag this week. <clears throat> classic. Classic. Classic Irish. <laughs> classic. How racist can I be there? <laughs> classic Irish. <laughs> Well, shall we jump on over to our peak performance? Yes, indeed. So much like our movie of the week, Dan and I take it in turns each week to pick someone from the movie TV universe and say, what's the best thing they've done? And this week, Dan, you've picked for us Michelle Yeoh. I have indeed. So I think I was watching the movie um, last week. Uh, gunpowder milkshake yeah. and it just sort of reminded me what a, a fantastic fantastic actress michelle is and that she's actually just been in so many movies that i love quickly i'll give you my honorable mention and my peak performance so my honorable mention actually goes to a movie that you've recently just watched tomorrow never dies and for her role in that movie which came out in 1997 kind of operating alongside um bond as a as a bit of a bond girl but just a i think a fantastic role fantastic performance by michelle 
definitely gets my honorable mention but my number one actually goes for her role in crouching tiger hidden dragon this is a movie that i haven't seen for a long long time but it was one of my first ever movies along with the matrix that i owned on dvd and it's <laughs> i've just seen it so many times always super i don't know like it's probably been what at least 16 17 years since i've seen it but i remember every time watching that movie thoroughly enjoying it thoroughly enjoying her her performance so for me tomorrow never dies and then crouching tiger hidden dragon great choices she has been in so many great stuff and i just see as you were talking she's slated to appear in all four all four of the new avatar avatar movies so that's 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 incredible um for me honorable mention is 2007's sunshine uh this is a movie i'm well overdue a rewatch on um i remember watching it when it came out she's part of a crew alongside um uh, cillian murphy chris evans uh rose byrne even our very own cliff curtis um and it sticks in my memory uh she's she, danny boyle directs it so it's a sci-fi psychological thriller not everyone loved it got a bit of stick but i really enjoyed it there's a real sort of uh 2001 space odyssey a bit of alien bit of event horizon and i won't lie i can't remember that much because i haven't seen it since 2007 except i had that vibe of oh yeah i'll definitely watch that again and i remember thinking that that she was really good in this and um so that's my honorable mention but peak performance for me i love it when it's an easy choice because for me it's 2017's star trek discovery as captain philippa giorgio um and for look for a show that i love for two seasons and then question where it's sort of gone since one thing that has never been in doubt for me has been um michelle in the role of georgia uh, and most of the bridge crew to be honest it's not really a thing with the cast but let's not go down that rabbit hole she also played the emperor uh in the mirror universe and i just feel like she's a real highlight i feel like she offers a really different captain i think she has a lot of fun as the emperor she gets to bring her martial arts skills to the fore in that role so yeah sunshine star trek discovery great choice for a peak performance then well Paul, that probably brings us to the end of probably our longest episode of a half missus podcast ever yeah incredible that we've made it over an hour 50 but uh cured everyone for, for listening all the way to the end of this week's podcast for putting up for i think quite a few of my fanboy moments through our ob1 review uh do get in touch uh with us let us know your peak performance for michelle yo if you have any news on patty's whereabouts or comment on anything that we reviewed this week um we'd love to hear from you on our social media i thought this is one of those episodes paul where we need a, a word at the end if you've made it all the way through the the hour 50 then let us know. If you've, like, what, what can our word be? I think we should have the word TARDIS for those people who've made it through to the end. Very good. Also, a very special shout out to our Patreon producers, Samara Whiting-King, Trisha Brady, Diana Kanawa, and Linda Tavner. We couldn't do it without you. If you too would like to become a Patreon producer, then you can find those details in the show notes below. But until next week, everyone, adios.